Hey, welcome back. I know I said that I was done and that I was sad, but when you have a minor in rhetoric, you never stop talking. So here I am, back at it again for one last episode. This time about fantasy theme analysis, rhetorical criticism, and a song by Common Hymnal, The Medicine. So sit back and grab some coffee. This one's gonna be a lot of fun. If you're new, this is a great episode to start on. It's a standalone episode, so there's no prereq or requirement to understand what I'm gonna be talking about. I'm Grace Pfeiffer, a student at Georgia College, and welcome to That's What She Said. This episode is me walking you through the analysis of a song, The Medicine by Common Hymnal. I've been involved with this by listening to Common Hymnal for a little over a year. They combine different artists into collaborative worship albums. I first heard one of their individual artists perform at a house concert in Milledgeville. That was Andrew Blooms. He produces his own music that I keep up with, but this analysis is not about him. This song was composed the summer of 2020 in the middle of a pandemic in one of the biggest civil rights movements in history. The Black Lives Matter movement launched into peaceful protests after the unlawful murder of George Floyd. The amount of he did, he said, but his relationship with excuses for unhuman-like behavior were shocking. And so this song was published. Common Hymnal is a group of different artists who come together, composing different worship songs and combining them together into albums. This album, Praise and Protest, was created, according to their website, as a liberty for the spiritual underground, facilitating an exchange of songs, stories, and ideas. Their goal is to build that spiritual underground for a generation of people who is not seeking the above ground church. They are compiling stories, songs, and lessons and placing them into a beautiful album that seeks to build a connecting point for people in the margins of society. The Medicine is the first song on the album and it was designed to be an act of prayer. It is sung by Dee Wilson and Alex Ionio and was written by Terrell Wilson. Personally, it's one of my favorite songs. It makes my heart feel heavy and loaded with the burdens of history. It reminds me that though I'm not responsible for the decisions of my ancestors, I am responsible for how I love, care, and advocate for those who are discriminated against. There's a form of surrender in this song as well, that there is someone greater in control. And though I don't understand, there is always a bigger purpose and reason. But you're probably sitting there in your car or in your room or wherever you are and thinking, well, it's cool that you care, but why should I care? It's obvious that this song is important to me and that this analysis means a lot to me, but what does it have to do with you? I may not know you personally. You may not even be from the States, but I do know we have a commonality of being human. And as humans, we're meant to live in community together. We're never meant to be alone. That's why people listen to podcasts like this or music when they drive. That's why people walk around when they're on the phone. That's why people cry at night more than the day because they aren't comfortable being solitary. Those who are marginalized and oppressed are alone. And as humans whose core conscience hates feeling that way, you should wanna help those who are stuck in it. This song combines centuries of hurt for Americans of color, a burden that is the backbone of American culture. That heaviness is worth caring about, especially when it's vocalized in such a freeing manner. If you haven't yet, go ahead and listen to the song. I wouldn't put it in the podcast here, but I can't for copyright reasons. And the song on the format that I use to make this podcast will only give me a 30 second clip and you need to listen to the whole thing. So go on Spotify or Apple Music, 
or YouTube or whatever you have and go listen to it. Listen to it more than once. Let the words wash over you. Let them connect with your soul. This song is deeply personal and I want it to connect with you in that way. So don't be afraid to feel a little heavy and sad. Those are good feelings to have when learning about something like this. So go listen to it and then pop back over and we'll dive right in. So now that you've listened to the song, let's talk a little bit about what fantasy theme analysis is. Um, and then we'll go into talking about the song. Fantasy theme analysis is a method of analyzing a text to see a deeper meaning through metaphors, repeated words, imagination of what those words mean. Basically, it's just pulling out what you think the artist, um, in this case, because we're analyzing a song, what the artist or writer of the song wants you to get out of it, what they want you to feel, what they want you to think about. And you find that out based on analyzing the words there um, and what they want you to picture and how they use that to create a story, which is why it's called fantasy theme analysis, because it's story based. So we'll be looking specifically at repeated phrases and the use of words to see what the artist is trying to get us as listeners to feel. I'm using the medicine, that song is my text, and their website, commonhymnal.com, as my primary source. It is rich with information about why the song was written and details the rhetoric of why it's written the way it is. And it also has the song and the music video up on their website. So if you needed a different way to listen to it, that's a good source as well. So I personally, through this analysis, am looking to answer the question, how do the lyrics, chord progression, and themes of this song actively challenge American Christians who don't confront racism in America? In essence, my goal is for you to not only have a deeper understanding of the perpetual burden and suffering discriminated people in America have faced, but also the hope that comes through compassion and the freedom that advocating for change brings. So it's some heavy stuff, but it's stuff that needs to be talked about and things that people need to be self-aware of. People run from heavy, heavy things. People run from heavy things, especially people my age in their 20s. I feel like I feel like people like to run from things more than actually seek to change them. Not everybody's that way, but a lot of people are that way. And especially with social media, it's so easy. So don't be afraid of what we're going to cover here because I think it is good. So... We are, there are two different things to analyze with this. You can analyze the lyrics of the song um, with the chord progression and stuff like that. Or you could analyze the video that's placed with the lyrics, the music video, which is essentially just a bunch of charcoal drawings. Um, and I would love to analyze both, but I only have time for one. So we're going to analyze the lyrics right now because you can't understand the video until you understand what the song is about. But yeah, so I'm just gonna read some of the lyrics to you and then we'll analyze them and talk about them and then we'll keep going. So the lyrics in general are super deep um, and the recording has ad-lib background vocals that make it seem super raw and personal, almost like you're at church, you know? I grew up Presbyterian, so nobody, there was no ad-lib background vocals, but 
if you've ever been to a church where people, you know, worship in their own way individually, it's really cool. Um, Cause it's like individuals in the congregation that you can hear. And that's what this song feels like for me. Um, and it makes it much deeper, you know, because there's more than one person singing the song and when people kind of go off kilter and go off what they're singing about, it, it means something, you know, they aren't just reading lyrics. They're applying it to their heart. Um, and there are symbols of hurt and desperation, silence and outcry for help. Really. This is like over a century of hurt and pain compiled into a song. So, here is the first verse. I'll just read it to you. I'm not going to sing to you because I'm not going to sing. There's a sickness here that threatens to divide us, and we're all afraid to say its name out loud. But Lord, I know that you can heal us of this virus, so we need you. We need you right now. There's a darkness here that's dangerous and aggressive. It's getting harder every day to shake its power. But Lord, I know that you can free us from oppression, so we need you. We need you right now. So there are two different rhetorical themes in this verse that uh, it can be taken as, but it can also be taken as one big cohesive theme. So let me explain what I mean. The first stanza talks about sickness and virus. In the terms of the context of the culture in America and this song, generational racism can be seen as a sickness and something that can be cured. Um, and that's something that people are advocating for a lot right now. And so looking at this verse in that light shows that people can change and that there can be a culture change in America in terms of how minorities are treated and viewed. Essentially showing a hope that equal rights for all people is able to be accomplished. But if you were to look at the first stanza through a different lens, as well as looking at the timing in which, which this was published in the summer of 2020, um, it can also be super clear that they're talking very literally about the COVID-19 virus. But regardless of if you see one or both, the artist makes it extremely clear that there needs to be a change and that it can't just come from sheer willpower. Common Hymnal describes their inspiration for the song um, in a quote. COVID slowed us down long enough to pay attention to a historical national malpractice, systematic racism, and our country has been in crisis mode ever since. Another important thing to note in this verse is the use of the word we. When listening to this song, it's meant to connect with you on a super deep, personal level. It's supposed to kind of pull at your heartstrings and make you think and um, it's supposed to impact everyone, to sit with everyone. It's supposed to stay with everyone. And the use of the word we comes up over and over again in the phrase, we need you, we need you right now. It'll come back up in the chorus as well. And there's a sense of urgency in these words when I look at them, like there isn't much left to do. This is a wit's end, two week to go on scenario. This is like a last resort, last outcry for help. And even if you don't believe in God, it's, in my mind, almost guaranteed that if you're, like, about to be murdered or, like, about to fall off a cliff, you're going to pray because you're at the end of your rope. 
you know, like a last resort just in case <laughs> um, kind of scenario. So when listening to this, know that even if you aren't a person of faith, um, that this is still applicable to you in some way. While listening to this song, the progression of the instrumentation is set to follow the same flow as sorrow songs, the same songs that later led to the blues. The progression is rich with the history it's rooted in. Sorrow songs, also called slave songs, are defined by the wire as spirituals created out of and spoken directly to the black experience in America prior to the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863 that set all slaves free. So when you're listening to the background uh, music, I guess, chord progression, um, every aspect of this song is rooted in something extremely important and something that has led to a lot of hurt. And I think it's incredible that artists are able to do that, that they're able to encompass not only visually, but also auditory in there. Let me also clear up that the you and Lord he's singing about is the God of the Bible. This song speaks strictly from a Christian perspective, and that's something that's meant to unite the two opposing ends surrounding the BLM movement. Similar to Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech, this song uses Christianity as a common ground for both far-left liberals and die-hard right-wing Republicans. Especially in the Bible Belt, as well as Christian America, the common ground of Jesus and the gospel is meant to be a uniting factor. So now let's look at the chorus. Because we don't know what to do, so we turn our eyes to you. We've run out of words to say, but if you come and have your way, you can save us from ourselves before our wounds hurt someone else. We need you now. We need you now. The use of the word we in this verse is a uniting term, as I've said before, and it can be taken two different ways. First, it can be used as a unifying factor that any person listening to the song can fit into, that no one knows what to do. Not me, not you, not President Trump or President Biden, not a single American is in control. This is based on surrender and faith. The common knowledge that underlays this song is that there's a greater power in control, that we have never been in control and never will be. This is, as I've said before, an outcry for help, surrender. Second, you can see it as a community term. Those who want to be a part are welcome, but it's not applied to everyone. I may see this verse and agree falling on my knees because I have no solution or plan. Someone else, however, might see a way to change the tide and that person would not be included in the we. My personal opinion and preference rests in the first option. As a person of faith, I find immense amounts of comfort in the fact that I'm not in control. Though my personality is the type of, uh, I'll do it myself so I know it gets done right um, in the most efficient way. In terms of my life and others, I'm glad to give up my plans for something um, to get something potentially greater than I can imagine. You know, that if God is real and God created the whole world and the universe, then I would much rather have him make plans for my life than plans that I could make for myself. So let's go line by line really quickly to gain a common knowledge of what is being said. So the first part, because we don't know what to do, so we turn our eyes to you. 
This signifies a change in perspective. I've been to Black Lives Matter protests and the amount of people, signs, police officers, and strangers is really overwhelming. It's easy to get caught up in the chance, energy, and overall adrenaline of the crowd. So this is like a physical turning of eyes from being horizontal to being vertical. Looking up when you're surrounded by that many people is the only way to see clearly because that's the only unobstructed view. This again is a surrender of circumstances. The second two lines are, we've run out of words to say, but if you come and have your way. My mom told me when I was a kid that loving the Lord and being filled spiritually is like a cup in a sink. Most people fill up their cup in the sink and then go take it somewhere else until it runs out, then they go fill it up again. She told me that that's what unhealthy spiritual life looks like, being filled by the spirit, then running on fumes until empty. She told me a healthy spiritual life would be always staying under the sink, even when the cup is overflowing. And that's what they're getting at. Running until your knees buckle, driving until you're out of gas, staying awake until your eyes are too heavy to stay open. Exhaustion. The decades of oppression, of talking, of arguing, of fighting have left people brittle, fragile, hostile, and empty. Again, there are tones of surrender when we see the word but. This is a shift in perspective, of looking for vertical, of handing the reins over to something greater. God needs to come have his way. This verse embodies Isaiah 55. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The ending of the chorus, you can save us from ourselves before our wounds hurt someone else. I heard a phrase when I was in high school that changed the way I viewed other people's actions. I was mad at my sister and took it out on my best friend. I yelled at her and said some nasty things that I didn't mean to direct at her, but they were. And a few days after not talking, I realized I had made a mistake and went to go apologize. She looked at me with kind eyes and said, it's all right, Grace. Hurt people hurt people. And that's what's happening to the different generations in America. Everyone is wounded. Some feel as though the building blocks of our country, the Constitution, and the rights they have aren't being taken seriously. Others feel as though the only building block of this country was slavery and that there needs to be a serious overhaul of how we view the Founding Fathers. Basically, we're all wounded. And whichever side you're on, you're together under the umbrella of hurt, sadness, anger, and confusion. Hurt people hurt people. The second verse is, what does it mean to have compassion for another? How can I claim to love a God I can't see? If I can find the will to harm and kill my brother because he neglected to look like me. I can speak the words of men and songs of angels. I can give all my possessions to the poor. But if your love can't move the mountain of my hatred, somehow I've missed you and I need you so much more. This verse gets personal with the writer and he begins to use personal pronouns. At this point, the song shifts from a lesson of personal life application. It shifts from being a written song in the form of prayer for listeners to being a deeply emotional and personal outcry for deliverance. This makes the tone of the song not feel as much like a soapbox, but so much as sitting in a car with someone and hearing their struggles. There's a connection here, a soul connection, human to human, center to center. The writer isn't pretending to have the answers, and that's rare in a song, especially a worship one. 
The first stanza of the second verse leaves no room for doubt. It's interesting because upon the first glance, it seems to be about police brutality. Given the murders that happened right before this song was released, that is one way to interpret it. It can also be taken from the stance, I think, considering it talks about compassion on the forefront. It's more so about hatred. First John 3.15 says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And I personally think that these, this verse speaks about both sides, both extremes. The hatred brewed under oppression and the actual murder of men based on prejudice and racism. It's a heavy verse, and those two things don't seem to be equal. But from the basis of the song on scripture, it can be taken either or both ways. Based on the writer and the standpoint of the song, especially the stanza we're about to go over, I'm inc more inclined to believe the second, more personal hatred of others as my take. The second stanza of the second verse starts with singing the words of men and angels and giving everything to the poor. All of those things are good, but it's made clear with the next two lines that those actions are nothing without a heart change. This stanza is calling for an internal change, and I think that's applicable regardless of where you fall in the BLM movement. No matter your actions, if your heart harbors hatred and resentment, it's all for nothing. One stain ruins the whole napkin. Again, with surrender, the writer says that it is him, capital H, who needs to move the mountain of hatred. It's not up to man to solve. The writer knows that if given the option, he will choose to hate, so he gives it up. He speaks of a fear of missing God, missing God's perfect compassion for the ones who oppressed him, beat him, mocked him. The chorus then repeats, but this time adding in an I need you now with the usual we need you now. This chorus also repeats twice here. So this is three times we've heard the chorus now. And after that, there's a repeat of we need you now 10 times. There's one more little verse I want to cover and the lyrics for it are not on Genus. It's at the very end of the song um, and this chunk of words is my favorite part. I don't know. The last thing that you hear is the thing that sticks with you the most. So I'll read it for you and then we'll dive in. Because if you don't heal us, God will never be healed. If you don't deliver us, we'll never be free. God, if you don't change us, we'll never be better. We need you right now. These are the last words of the entire song. Arguably, the ending is the most memorable part of any piece. When I did musical theater, we would practice singing the bows longer than any other song because that's the last thing the audience would hear. So why did Terrell Wilson decide to add this ending? Why use the cause and effect style of rhetoric? It's deep and raw. Almost hopeless, but at the same time filled to overflowing with faith. This is a complete open hands, open arms, open plans kind of surrender. That if the Lord does not heal, it will not happen. If he does not deliver, we will continue to be in bondage. That if God does not do a work in us, then we will continue to stay the way we are. This is bigger than ourselves. This burden of pain and oppression and confusion is bigger than any of us. We have, over the past century, created a monster that we are unable to slay. Racism is embedded in our culture. It affects the way we talk, the way we interact, the way we love other people. You may not believe in God, or you might, but we can all agree that the posts on Instagram and hate-fueled content is on the same level 
as that fire and brimstone soapbox preacher on the corner downtown. No one changes their mind when they're being yelled at. It's almost like we can't do anything but yell. That's why the rhetoric and tempo of this song is so important. It's soft, but covered in honesty. Terrell Wilson put his soul on a page and composed it for someone else to sing. There's nothing I can do to change your mind. And frankly, it isn't my job. This song admits to that. And there's something greater in control, a person that has already carried the burdens of the world once, and he is going to make things right again. Thank you for joining me today on this super special episode of That's What She Said. I'll see you next time.